0: everyone. Welcome to the last sermon in our mini-series on how to hear God's Word. We Typically, the, the title is How to Read the Bible, and we use the idea of hearing God's Word um, to kind of emphasize that reading the Bible is a listening experience. And so we say that the primary reason why we read the Bible is to better know God and how to love Him and love others. And the art of listening enables us to understand what he's trying to say through his word. So we first talked about listening with a heart of love and trust. That if we, if our heart's affection isn't toward God and we want to know how to love him, it'll be hard to understand what it's saying. It just sounds random and complicated. And if we don't trust God, then we're going to approach the Bible in an attitude of mistrust, and that actually clogs our ears from being able to hear him. Then last week, we talked about listening in relational contexts, And if, you, if any of you have done any um, study on how to read the Bible, the fancy word is, is hermeneutics, you know that uh, context is everything. And so uh, we talked about these different relational contexts using the acronym CONTEXT, And so last week we looked at, we need to read the complete story. Instead of selective hearing, uh, we want to read all that God says. So, you know, you might have some favorite parts. Well, God says, listen to all that I have to say. And then even those favorite parts will make more sense. So that we need to listen to the complete story. Then we need to listen to the original meaning that we want to know what his intended meaning is, even before we start to apply it. We want to really listen first before kind of internalizing it and and, and using it for something. Then we talked about needing the spirit, that we need to build a relationship with God, where we create space for him to reveal himself to us. And then finally, we looked to tradition. And this was another word for uh, letting the, the church past and present inform our understanding of the Bible. So we need a relationship with the church as well. Well, we're going to continue by looking at two more. We're going to be looking at the EX and the T in context. And uh, I hope that this is going to be helpful for you. So what does the EX stand for? Well, it's a fancy word that you might be unfamiliar with, and it's called exegesis. Uh, I already talked about this word called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is the um, is the principles that we use to interpret the Bible. And I've just described those hermeneutical principles as how to listen well. And I think it might be a simpler way to to understand it. But then what exegesis is, takes those principles and now applies it to interpreting the Bible. So, uh, exegesis is a very big deal. And what the word means, it means to interpret the meaning out of a source, instead of reading our own meaning into the text. So what every cult has in common is they have some preconceived ideas and then they overlay their ideas onto what the Bible says. Well, that's poor listening skills because it's not listening to what the Bible says to us. We're reading what we want to, what we want to see. And so healthy listening is letting someone speak and try to understand what they're trying to tell us instead of what we want them to tell us. This is what we read about in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, about the Bereans. It says, Now the Berean Jews were, more, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. <clears throat> this is just an outstanding attitude. So with great eagerness, they looked into the Word of God and made sure that what Paul was saying lined up with Scripture. So they were doing exegesis. They were looking at what the Bible said and and basing their understanding from it instead of trying to make it say something. Now, uh, let me just teach you one other fancy word because it's just helpful to sometimes have language for these kinds of things. And it's the word coherence. What coherence is, is there is a tendency inside of you and I Whenever we hear new information, we try to fit it into our old ideas and framework. You see, our brain our brain is wired in such a way where um, whenever we receive new information, it tries to be efficient. And so it, it looks at something that looks like this and we go, oh, I've seen that before. That's a watch. And so this watch might look different than another watch, but it has the same basic ideas. And so it it... It categorizes things according to familiarity. Well, that's that's efficient and handy because we don't walk into each moment having to, you know, relearn everything. But it's a problem when new information comes because what we try to do is make it fit into what we already believe. You know I have this picture of people uh, especially when I've I've led Bible studies and what people will do is we'll we'll read a passage of scripture and then they'll ask a question and then they mentally kind of close the book and say what they've always thought because it's hard to actually receive something new we try to uh, coherence is trying to blend the new with the old so as not to disrupt our inner peace you know so that everything all fits together so we do this all the time when we listen don't we when we listen to somebody, we listen to them as a caricature. Oh, I know what you're going to say next. This is what happens in marriages all the time. I know what you're going to say next. Oh, I know what's coming now. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought that you believed that. And so we, we don't even let the moment be a fresh new moment. We just fit people into what we already think about them. Well, this is terribly unhelpful for listening, isn't it? First with other people, but primarily in our relationship with God. We need to create space for God to speak afresh to us through his word. And so it's about laying down our biases and expectations and assumptions and letting God speak to us and and hearing his message in a new way. You know, even the Jews in Jesus' day, they're in the same culture as the Jews, but they had a really hard time understanding Jesus, didn't they? they had a set of values and assumptions that Jesus came along and just blew those out of the water. And so it was really hard for them to, you know, you're the son of God and you're going to destroy the temple. The temple is the symbol of our, our unity and our faith. Why would you ever do that? And you don't want to, you don't want to uh, free us from Roman oppression. You want to free our hearts from sin. What, what are you talking about? And it was so hard for them to hear these ideas because their old ideas were kind of stopping their ears and not enabling them to hear. So we need to then ask a very simple question. So like we talked about questions last week. Here's the question that we ask: God, please teach me. I just, I just want to hear. I just want to hear you today. I want to get meaning out of the text, out of what you're saying to me. And not just come with my agendas. Please teach me. And that's just a, a humble request of God. So as we do that, I'd like to just give a few... This is maybe the most technical part of this series. But I think it's going to be helpful for you. We don't often get to talk about these kinds of things on a Sunday morning. Because we're, we're usually you know going through another particular topic. or a, Or we're exegeting a passage of scripture. <clears throat> but here's some things that are very helpful as you as, as, you, uh, as you try to study the Bible. Uh, number one, trust the Bible to explain itself. The Bible is its own best commentary. So lots of people feel insecure about their Bible study because they go, you know, I might have this, but, you know, these scholars talk and these preachers talk and they're always referring to some archaeological, you know, discovery and something that they learned in, in Greek or Hebrew and and, and uh you know something that they understood about the culture back in the day and it becomes really intimidating that it's all it's like in order to read the Bible I need to know all these other things around it. Well, that is helpful for sure, but the Bible is the best source by which to understand the Bible. <laughs> Like, again, I I'm, I know I'm using a marriage example often just because I, I think it's such an excellent example. But if, uh, you know, what's the best way to find out what my wife Debbie thinks? Asking Debbie. So I don't go, hmm, I wonder what she means. And then I'll go and talk to her mom and her friends. And what do you think she means? Now, sometimes uh, that's helpful. We talked about that last week in terms of of asking the church, in a sense, what God is saying, because it it helps to get someone else's perspective. But uh, primarily, the best way to understand my wife is to talk to her directly. So if there's a part of the Bible that we don't understand, we keep listening. We keep saying, God, I'm still not getting it. I know I'm slow, but I'm here to hear you more. And what's exciting about this is we begin to make connections of what was the question here gets answered over there, and we go, oh, it's all fitting together for me. And so we're patient in letting the Bible explain itself. One of the most uh, powerful things that's central to Christianity is the Old Testament sacrifices. We read, what does that have to do with anything? We don't sacrifice animals. Well, we know that that was a foreshadowing of what Christ did in a complete way. The Bible interpreted itself. And the Bible does this all the time. So I encourage you to to trust that this is enough for you to have a rich and meaningful love relationship with God. And let yourself soak in it and receive it. I tell you, the thing that's most fun for me is I've been reading the Bible for, uh, for nearly 40 years. And it's so fun to, you know, I'll, uh, there'll be portions of scripture. I just don't know what it's saying. And then decades later, it's like, oh, I get it. This is what you mean. And then this whole other dimension of who God is or, or what it means to follow him opens up. It's just so exciting to discover uh, a new dimension of who God is. It was always there. It was just hard for me to see. <clears throat> and so I encourage you. To be patient with yourself, and to and to, to let yourself um, learn over time, and let the Bible begin to uh, to become a, a holistic picture that explains the truth. So that's the first idea: that trust the Bible to explain itself, and the plain meaning is usually the best interpretation. You know, sometimes I'll come across people who are really fascinated. With slightly obscure ideas, this is often true in the Book of Revelation. That people get fascinated with the Book of Revelation, they create timelines and charts, and and this is when Christ is going to return, and this is how, and, and this is what the signs are, you know, today. And and uh, but it's just it's actually not what the Bible's saying. That they're making it say something that they're fascinated with, but it's that's really not the point of those passages. And so we can we can get mesmerized with our own you know fanciful ideas and miss just the plain meaning of the Bible. There's a there's a little phrase that's often said in in, um, in Bible schools, and it is this: When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. <laughs> So the idea is, if the plain meaning makes sense, just stay there. Now, if it gets more complicated, we'll talk about that in, a, in just a second, but, but don't feel like you have to get some really cool idea in order to understand it. If it's obvious, let it be obvious and enjoy that. Now, when it comes to interpreting difficult uh, passages or symbolic language, we always work from clear to difficult. And so we don't start uh, understanding the Bible out of the book of Revelation or the prophecies of Daniel. We start with the plain statements that have been made and then we work from clarity into those difficult passages or into those symbolic passages. But we don't kind of throw up our hands and say, I don't understand anything because I don't understand the prophecies of Daniel. No, there's some very, very clear things that the Bible builds itself upon. And then it provides color and depth and nuance and further revelation by going into uh, poetry or or symbolic imagery. But it doesn't mean that we have to throw out the basic understanding. It just means that we build upon it to create a more robust and dynamic understanding of what God is saying. So, uh, trust the Bible. Uh, Let there be a plain meaning. Don't get tricky. Number three, wait what the Bible waits uh, and watch for bumps and dips. So what we want to do, we want to hear God with what he's saying, not on what we want him to say, right? So uh, what happens sometimes, though, is that we don't like what he's saying or we don't understand what he's saying. And so we kind of ignore some parts. And it's kind of like you read you're reading along in a in a verse. We don't like that part. We kind of it becomes a dip. We we kind of ignore that part. Or there's a part that we really like, you know, <clears throat> that we're going to be uh, blessed and prosperous. And so we kind of read along. We go oh, and we make a bump out of it. Oh, I really like that part. And then read back normally again. What we want to be able to do is read without bumps and dips. We want to weight what the Bible puts the weight upon. This is the opposite. Of what, the, uh, of what the Pharisees did. In Matthew 23, 23, this is what Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neg- neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So they emphasized what was easy for them, you know, uh, tithing some, uh, some spices, and then they ignore, because it's harder to do, uh, justice and mercy. I don't want to do that, so I kind of ignore that part. Well, we really we, we don't want to do that, or we're now beginning to twist what the Bible is saying. I think even of the word holy. Do you like that word, or does it scare you? Is it a bump or a dip, or, or is it read in the, in the context of the verse and what God's saying generally in Scripture? So, wait what the Bible waits. And then finally, and this is the one we really need to focus on today, and please follow me on this. I know it's <clears throat> it might be a little bit tricky, but I think you're going to find it to be helpful. Um, when God speaks or writes, he uses a yellow highlighter. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any study, and you read a book, and you, you highlight in yellow the, the really important parts. Well, God does that. God has a way in the Bible of emphasizing things and it just helps to know how to hear him if we know how he talks and uh, when you hear it you'll actually go oh yeah I do that too or other people do that so wh- the first thing that he does is he repeats himself <clears throat> so don't you do that if you really want to make a, a, a point you'll say it but Sometimes you don't want to say the exact same thing. You might, but you might also, you know, slightly change the words, but you're repeating yourself because you're really trying to get across the point. Well, God does this all the time in at least three uh, forms of literature. In prose, which is stories, he'll repeat something as a way to draw your attention to it. In the life of Jacob, it's interesting when you read about the life of Jacob, uh, stones... Are mentioned quite often. He sleeps on stones. He worships with stones. He sets up kind of commemorative markers to symbolize an important moment and settles disputes with stones. He sets up boundary markers using stones. This is your area and in my area. Um, But you watch and there's stones are often mentioned in the story of Jacob. Well, what does this tell us? That there's nothing soft or subtle in his life or in his relationship with God. He wrestles with God. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not a soft and easy life. And so there's hard things that he's sleeping on or setting up or, you know, wrestling. Like it's, It gives a picture of what God is like. And so as we see a word or an idea repeated in a story or in the Bible, we go, oh, there's something going on here. Did I get to, this is God's yellow highlighter. He's trying to tell me something. And so it becomes a fun exploration in the Bible to look for these kinds of uh, repetitions. We also see it in poetry. Uh, whether we're reading the Psalms or there's some other poem, in, in, um, in Hebrew poetry, it was less about rhyming. And it was, it was more about um, uh, uh, stating an idea and then having it reflected in the second half of the verse. So, um, what would happen is, uh, you know, something is said, and then it's either emphasized or, uh, or contradicted, like the opposite of it. But the way that you read through the Psalms is when you read a verse, you'll notice that the second part of the verse is either emphasizing it or contrasting it, or somehow comparing it to something else, you go, oh, I get it. He's using repetition in order to make a strong point. And when we know that's happening, then it's easier to hear what the Bible is trying to say. So he repeats himself in prose, in in stories, in poetry, and also, and this is maybe the, it might be the most uh, complicated, but it's just fun to know about this because it just becomes an adventure of discovery. Uh, he repeats himself in something called patterns in the Bible or themes, <clears throat> and so here's how it works. In, the, in this is uh, just we just use this as an analogy. Now, imagine in Hollywood, uh, there's Western movies, okay. So in a in a classic Western movie, there's always the sheriff who doesn't really want to, sh- to be the sheriff, and then there's going to be some uh, showdown with the uh, with the big enemy of the of the village, and there's going to be a damsel in distress, and it's kind of a a classic storyline. And so when you watch a Western movie, you kind of know what's going to happen, or, a, or an action movie, or a, you know there's a, there's a typical way that it unfolds, and then. Uh, What happens, though, is that sometimes that storyline that we expect to go in a particular way, it changes. We go, oh, that's different. I wasn't expecting that. And that change becomes a highlight that the writer of the movie is trying to say something unique and different. Well, this is exactly what God does in Scripture. That stories of famine, uh, barrenness, birth, Marriage, we're going to look at that in a moment. Divine visitations were all written in a familiar literary form. They go, oh, I know what birth stories are like. I know what famine stories are like how they play themselves out. And, uh, and when something changes, it draws the reader to, take, to pay more attention to that. It's like that yellow highlighter. Let me give you an example. Uh, betrothal stories. So somebody who's, um, who wants to marry somebody else, there's a typical way that that story is told in the Bible. And here's how it, I mean, it's, it's fun because this is just a different culture, you know. But uh, so here's how it goes. The groom, the groom-to-be, travels to a foreign land to meet his future bride. So the, the groom gets up, travels to another foreign land in the hopes of, of meeting his bride and then they meet at the well. That's the, uh, I guess, that's the the biblical, you know, equivalent to going to the bar or something. I don't know. But they, uh, you know, they they go to the, they, they meet at the well. He draws water for her. Um, and this is a sign of, uh, of, I'm interested in you. I guess it's the equivalent of buying a drink or something, maybe. I don't know. Um, and then. She goes, oh my, this is amazing. And then she runs off to tell her family. And then her family invites this groom-to-be over for dinner. And that's how how the story is told. That's the the classic way that it's told. Now, here's what's interesting then when we look in Genesis chapter 4 with how Isaac meets Rebekah. What we read in that story is that it's Abraham who sets the whole thing up. And he tells his servant to go and do what typically the groom-to-be would do. And then when the servant goes and finds Rebecca, instead of Jacob doing that, when he finds Rebecca, uh, what we see in four short verses is Rebecca is the subject of 11 action verbs, including drawing water, instead of the groom drawing water, she is, and then one action verb. So she is super active, and Jacob is is super passive. Well, what we... Sorry, Isaac is super passive. So we already see in the, how the story is told. Sorry, it should have been Isaac. We already see Isaac's passivity and Rebecca's proactivity in even how they first meet. And this becomes the pattern for how they live out their relationship. Isn't that helpful? So as you begin to acquaint yourself with the, with the, uh, the stories in the Bible you'll see ways that stories are told. And then you contrast the ones and how they are different, and now the Bible becomes even more alive. When we look at this typical betrothal story, uh, in terms of John chapter 4, and Jesus meeting the woman at the well, there's a whole new dimension of understanding that happens. So Jesus is the groom who goes to the well, And he says, draw some water for me. So you go, hmm, well, that's interesting. He should be drawing water for her. But then he says, I have water that you know nothing about. So it looks like you're drawing the water. Actually, I have living water that you know nothing about. So he is the one who draws the water, but it's not physical water. It's a spiritual, uh, to, to satisfy our spiritual thirst. And then she's overwhelmed by this, runs back to the village, Tells them, and they invite him in for food. It's a betrothal story. It's a story of Jesus coming to Earth, and uh, in, in a sense, creating a bride, the Church, that He's going to wed. Well, doesn't that just add a whole different level of uh, of revelation in what's going on? And already a beautiful, um, you know, a beautiful story of the woman at the well. Well, now when we read these other betrothal stories, the Word of God just becomes more and more alive. The the plainest meaning was already profound, and then we just get more and more depth as we understand how God highlights things through patterns. Now, there's a specific kind of pattern that I really want to emphasize, and it's another fancy word, and it's called types. That... um, that there are certain patterns or themes that are all through the Bible and they're a, a type or a or a kind of, of, of pattern that we really need to take uh, uh, pay attention to there's two that we'll look at today the first is the exodus type the exodus going from Egypt into the promised land is a is a is a pattern for how we follow Jesus and then we see it echoed in what baptism is. And uh, this becomes a pattern that we see all through Scripture, and it's being referred to time and again. And then we begin to see how each time that pattern is retold in a different consequence. We see more um, of the depth and breadth, and we get more and more revelation of what's really going on. The most profound type are called are, are Christ figures. They're a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. We see Jesus figures in Adam, because Adam is the the firstborn of humanity. In the Passover lamb, that's that's a type of Jesus, where he is the lamb sacrificed for our sins. Israel, Jewish festivals, King David, these are all a foreshadowing, but what they're all doing is providing dimensions for us to understand who Jesus is. So this is a form of repetition. There's a a theme that we're wanting to understand of who Jesus is, and we see it repeated in different and dynamic ways all through Scripture. Can you see how beautifully woven together the Bible is? Ah, it's such a privilege to be able to read it. So, God's yellow highlighter, first of all, is repetition. Look for repetition in a story, in poetry, in themes and patterns through the Bible. Look for that. It'll be really helpful. And there's two other things that we need to look for, is direct dialogue. Whenever you read a passage, and then it says, he said, she said, and it's in quotation marks, then you know that that's God drawing attention to the main point of that story. Isn't that helpful to know? This is how Hebrew culture communicated. They're telling a story, and you know they're filling in all the details. And then it says, and then she said oh as soon as we know uh, then she's okay now this is the main point that I need to pay attention to everything else was background context but now this is the main point so whenever you read in an Old Testament story I um, something that's in someone speaking directly that's a clue to you that the main point is being told now uh, we do this too don't we not only do we repeat ourselves But we also, if you really wanna emphasize, we'll say something like, and you know, I was talking to so-and-so, and he said, and I quote, and then we'll say the thing. And it's like, wow. I mean, when you quote somebody, that has more weight to it, doesn't it? Well, God's doing that in scripture. When he quotes somebody, he's putting extra emphasis on that idea. And the final thing is outcomes. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's hard sometimes when you read a Bible story you're thinking, is this a good story or a bad story? <laughs> like, do I want to do what they're doing or should I not do what they're doing? <clears throat> you know, it gets tricky, doesn't it? Because it doesn't say, you know, at the beginning of the story, this is a story about what not to do, or this is a story about what you should do. I mean, it's, it's complicated. Well, here's a clue for you. The way that you can tell whether a story is, uh, is, is positive to be copied or not is by looking at the outcome of what happened. And you can tell that if it was a bad outcome, then now you know that all that it took to lead up to this bad idea. And so now we got to learn, well, if we do this, this is where it will take us. And then the opposite is the truth. if it's a positive outcome, then we know that it was a positive story. Uh, one example of this is alcohol. When you read stories that have alcohol in it, it is almost always a negative story. Almost. There's a few positive stories. But it's almost the, you know, the um, Jesus turning water into wine. But uh, you look, and it's it's almost always a negative story. And so you go, okay, something's being told us that we should pay attention to. So those are the yellow highlighters. Just, just let me say it again. I know it's a little bit tedious, but it's helpful. Uh, uh, Repetition, uh, direct dialogue, and looking at outcomes. That will help you get meaning out of the text and really hear what God's saying. All right, let's do the last point, and then we'll be all wrapped up. So that's exegesis, trying to get meaning out of the text. That's we want to know the context. Finally, is to trust actively. In James 1:22 and in 2:26, it says, "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says." And then it says in 2:26, "Faith without deeds is dead. Active obedience is critical to understanding." I remember when I was learning how to be a high school teacher and they would talk about classroom discipline or, or, uh, I was a shop teacher. So how to build something and how to explain to other people how to build something and have shop safety was always a really, really big deal. And so I'm listening in class and I'm mostly bored, you know, and then I have 30 students in my class and there's a, there's a saw blade and it's noisy in there. And, you know, I don't want them to hurt themselves and so the, the the ideas that were a little bit boring became super important as I tried to obey or put into practice what I was learning. Can I encourage you, if you think that the Bible is is boring, try doing it. And if you try to do it, this will become more and more valuable because you'll see how much you need God, how uh the world isn't black and white, and it's not super simple how to obey Jesus in particular situations. So we, it makes us hunger to know more and more so that we can reflect his beauty and strength in how we live and understand what the Word of God is really saying. So uh, please do not separate obedience and knowledge. They inform one another, and the more that you do it, it's like learning, you know, For me, it was always a new badminton stroke or or how to ride a mountain bike. You can only watch so many videos and you've got to go out and do it. And as you do it, you go, oh, that's what's being, I understand now what they were trying to say as I try to put it into practice. So the question that we can ask here is we ask God, God, where can I express this? Where can I take this? What do you want me to do with this? And not only will it, Now, help us love God and others, it will actually inform and transform how we understand God. We'll grow in knowledge. I love this quote by um, James Ulf. I don't know how to say his last name. You can see it in the. He says this, Wisdom is insight born of suffering. How do you become wise? You don't just study more. You try to do it. And as you suffer through difficult moments and try to walk in integrity you begin to become wise. But wise just isn't an intellectual exercise. It's coupled with obedience in trying to love others. So this is the final context in which we understand the Bible and it's our daily lives. As we try to live out our relationship with God, that's the context in which we better understand his word. So let me ask you in conclusion, will you put in energy to know God's will? Uh, we had uh, our uh, D group last week. We were talking about the the first sermon in this series. <clears throat> and we, we were, uh, one of the fellows was just talking about reading through Genesis. And then he's halfway through Exodus, but he's at the part now where it's talking about how big the, the sheets are for the temple. And, you know, all the, and he's going, how is this, you know, beneficial? And we talked about how people get really, oh, I'm going to read the Bible. And then Genesis, super cool, lots of cool stories. Exodus, first part, gets a little dull. Leviticus is like, whoa. And then by the time we get to Leviticus, we go, well, you know what? I'm just going to listen to sermons and help let someone else tell me what to think. Because it just gets tricky. But I think about knowing my wife. it's not It's not every moment is some ecstatic moment. It's it's struggling through things that we don't understand about each other or we're approaching difficult situations together and trying to know what's best and and it's energy but the reward is incredible that i now know somebody not just intellectually but there's a there's an intimacy and a connection and we're walking together and we know how one another thinks and we approach something together it's so dynamic Will we put in the energy to do that with God through his word? Put in the energy. And finally, will you do what he says? There's no more important relationship that you have than your relationship with God. Will you put in the energy in that relationship? And will you do what he says? As you have these these last two contexts, your relationship with God is going to blossom and grow in ways that it would be hard to describe, you know, looking at it before it happened. But I encourage you, love God's word and see it as the doorway into knowing the heart and will of God and what it means to love him and others. Oh, there's nothing more precious than his word because it's the way that we discover the reality of God. So let's pray together as we consider these things. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word, every word, is flawless. And it and it reveals your beauty and strength and glory and might and splendor. It helps us know how to live in right relationship with you and others. Oh, Father, help us move beyond wanting to be entertained. And let us be passionate to know you. To go through the difficult portions of Scripture to do what it says, to really hear you through your word. Oh, Father, help us with these things, that we could have a living and dynamic relationship with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.